if I say I'm going to be there, like, I want to be there and I will yeah. be there 100% and I will do it 100% or die trying. If you're a creative person, if you're a baker, a dancer, a photographer, a screenwriter, an actor, a comedian, a podcaster, and you want to figure out how to make a living doing what you love, this is the show. This is the show don't keep your day job. My name is Kathy Heller and I'm a singer-songwriter. I make a living doing what I love and I want that for you. This is the show that's going to help you do that and give you not only inspiration, but some real life strategies. This is going to help you figure out how to take your creative passion and turn it into a profit. Thanks to Latote for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Get started for as low as $39 a month and enter promo code DREAMJOB to get 50% off your first month. That's latote.com and promo code DREAMJOB for 50% off your first month. Thanks to the Work in Progress podcast for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Work in Progress is a new podcast about the meaning and identity we find in work, and it's produced by Slack. Follow along on Twitter at Slack Stories and find more great stories at slack.com slash podcast. That's slack.com slash podcast or at Slack Stories on Twitter. Thanks to Brooke Linen for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. You can get $20 off and free shipping when you use promo code DREAMJOB at brooklinen.com. That's brooklinen and the promo code is DREAMJOB for $20 off and free shipping. B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Hi guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. I'm super excited. Mandy Moore is here today. She is an unbelievable dancer. She has so much heart and she's so inspiring. Um, you probably know her from So You Think You Can Dance. She also choreographed La La Land. She set the bar pretty high for what a person can do, despite what people tell them is possible. So I want to talk about that today um, before we get into the interview, and I'm so happy that we're going to get to hear her whole story. Um, what is it that scares you? I want you to think about that because I want you to do the things that scare you. I want you to step up. I want you to be uncomfortable. And I want you to set a really big dream for yourself. I want you to set such a crazy big dream that you think other people will tell you it's not possible. And you know what? If they tell you it's not possible, that's their problem. That's not your problem. The truth is that if we set a dream that seems unachievable, maybe, you know, like they say, you know, shoot for the moon, you'll land on the stars. But it's really important that we think about living up to our potential. And I think that most people have so much more potential than they ever even see come to fruition, um, that they ever even really fully get to experience because we just really are scared of what we really can be. What's that Nelson Mandela quote? He says, people aren't really afraid of their darkness. They're really afraid of actually how unbelievable they are because that scares um, the daylights out of us if we actually know how much we have within us and how much we're capable of achieving. We actually have to do something about it. So I want you to ask yourself at the end of every day, is your potential more than you're doing? And if you weren't worried or scared, what would you be doing? And I know you've heard this so many times, but it really is so important to go ahead and and do those things that scare us. The truth is at the end of our life, we're not going to remember the things that we were, you know, the moments when we were scared. We're not going to, you know, have much to take with us, but we are going to remember the things that we did when we really proved to ourselves that we are stronger and more powerful and braver than we thought. The things that we worry about most likely won't come to pass. Other things happen, but the things that usually we spend time worrying about don't actually happen. It's things that we we don't see coming that happen. And so to spend time worrying about things that won't actually even happen and then prevent ourselves from doing the things that really will give us so much joy, it's just we have to decide once and for all we're not going to do that anymore. And I want you to ask yourself, are you getting the results you wish to get? Really, be honest with yourself. Are you getting the results you wish? Because results don't lie, right? Like everyone can talk about what they're doing or what they're quote unquote trying, but what are the results? What's actually working and what's not working? So if you're not getting the results that you want, if your life right now is not actually what you want it to be, if you're not enjoying as much as you could be what you're doing for work, if you're not feeling like you found a purpose in that, if you're feeling like something is stuck, if you're feeling like a relationship needs to be you know, expanded upon, What can you do to change your approach? Because your approach is not getting you the right results. So what can you do? And the truth is, we've 
got to step up. We have to stop thinking that people who have achieved things are lucky. They work very hard. You know, I recently heard Nicole Kidman say, somebody said to her, so what's it like to be a successful actress? And she said, what she didn't know is that it was 99% hard work and 1% glamour. We underestimate how much responsibility, accountability, and how much choice we have in what actually happens. We like to blame it on everything else, but the truth is that the hustle so, so, so much a part of whether or not things are going to happen. So we need to change our approach. And and we can't listen to other people who tell us that we're just doomed. The truth is, if they're scared, they're going to be really threatened by your big dream. So let them tell you that it's not possible. Let it fuel you. And again, that's their problem. That's not yours. I took this class at UCLA at the Mindful Awareness Research Center, and they were talking about how so many people put their joy on this outcome, right? Like, when I win this Oscar, when I get the big house, when I get married, when I make $2 million, um, then I'll be happy. You know, so many people are doing that all the time. And what's, what's really unfortunate is that if you put your happiness on an outcome, then you will never find happiness. We have to enjoy the climb, right? And so what I think is exciting is that if every single day we push the envelope a little bit and we get out of our comfort zone and we grow, we will be happy because fulfillment comes from our sense of self-esteem, right? So when you know that you're playing full out and you know that you, um, it's like that feeling after a big workout where you pushed yourself. It's like that feeling after you had that conversation you were afraid to have with someone and then you have it. Um, you feel 10 feet tall, right? So I think that we can have more happiness and more fulfillment if we enjoy day by day the climb and we get excited about seeing ourselves, you know, step up more, a little bit more every day, inch forward a little bit more every day. So if you're inspired right now, then share this episode with somebody. But also what I want you to do is I want you to take a pen and paper or do this on your computer. Um, and I want you to just just kind of like make like a word collage, like brain dump everything that's coming through your head right now. And what are the things that you can let go of? What are the things that are not working? What approach could you maybe change? And what would you do instead? And if you were willing to play full out, what is that dream? If you were willing to dare yourself to dream bigger than you possibly thought you could, what does it look like? What do you really, really want? Don't don't think about what people are going to tell you is realistic or what's possible. What do you really, really want? And the last thing I want to talk about today is just being grateful. Every person that we have on this show, I feel like one of the things that is consistent is that they dream really big. They work really, really hard. They do things that scare them. And they're really grateful and they treat people um, well. They're generous people in terms of their spirit. Um, I think that that is a winning combination, but we can't allow ourselves to settle and to be stuck and to play safe, and we know that, and that's why week after week, I like having people on this show who have not necessarily been given a handout, but they're people who really wanted something, and regardless of what connections they had or how many resources they had in terms of money or whatever it was, they figured out a way to look themselves in the mirror every single day and keep going and have the courage to really go for what they want, even though so much was at stake. Okay, this episode is brought to you by Latote. Latote is an awesome fashion subscription box that sends you brand name clothing and accessories for one low monthly fee. All you do is fill out your style profile and sign up to get a custom tote delivered right to your door. Wear what you want, return everything in the mail when you're done, and you'll get a new box within days. They have data to fit you better than any other retailer, and they have high-quality designer brands like BCBG, Max Azaria, Nike, Rebecca Minkoff, and many more. Go to latote.com, that's L-E-T-O-T-E.com, to get started for as low as $39 a month and enter promo code DREAMJOB to get 50% off your first month. So I personally love it because normally when I'm shopping, I just feel that sense of pressure from the salesperson. And so either that will make me not want to take as much time as I really need, or it'll make me buy something when I'm not really sure I actually want to spend the money on it. So this allows you to just experiment and try different things and you can just play with it. If you like it, you can keep it. If you don't like it, you can just send it right back and get more stuff. So check it out. That's latote.com and enter my code, which is dream job and feel fabulous with fashion delivered right to your door. 
Thanks to Work in Progress for supporting our podcast. Work in Progress is a new podcast about the meaning and identity we find in work. It's hosted by Dan Meissner and it's produced by Slack. Each episode has stories of rising ambitions and debilitating insecurities, great successes and abject failures, the plans we make and the luck that happens. These stories are really fascinating. Some of them include Jean Wright. She was a seamstress for NASA who pursued her job for 30 years. Frank Thompson, a former prison warden, he turned abolitionist. Individual journeys of entrepreneurs, freelancers and many more. Follow along on Twitter at Slack Stories and find more great stories at slack.com slash podcast. That's slack.com slash podcast or at Slack Stories on Twitter. Thanks to Brooke Linen for supporting our podcast. I love my new sheets. I'm so excited. So I got these Navy Dot amazing Brooke Linen sheets. I got the duvet cover, the pillowcases. It's so great. You guys are going to love what you see. So when Brooke Linen, when the company was started, they um, were visiting a hotel and they were like, why can't we get these kinds of quality sheets? You know, when you go to the store, if you wanted to buy a duvet cover and pillowcases and sheets, first of all, it's hard to find everything matching in the right sizes that you need at an affordable price for good quality. But then think about lugging all of that home. Like physically, that's a lot of stuff to take home. So it's so much easier to just see everything online and it's such good quality and it's so pretty, it's so hip. You're gonna love it. You spend a third of your life in your sheets. Are they taking care of you the way they should be? With brooklinen.com, you can get the high quality sheets and bedding you deserve at a price that won't keep you up at night. Brooklinen.com has an exclusive offer just for you. You can get $20 off and free shipping when you use promo code DREAMJOB at brooklinen.com. They have versatile colors and patterns that you can mix and match to effortlessly complement any decor. This is luxury bedding underpriced. You have to try these sheets. In fact, Brooklinen is so confident confident that you're going to love their new sheets that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty in all of their sheets and comforters. So there's no reason not to give these sheets a try. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use promo code DREAMJOB at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and promo code DREAMJOB. Brooklinen, these are the best sheets ever. So today we have Mandy Moore here and I think she's such a stunning example of somebody who definitely didn't listen to the naysayers. And those of you who watch So You Think You Can Dance, those of you who have seen her, um, you know that on public TV, these shows, they can really rip you apart. And she kept going through all of that. And she wasn't somebody who growing up, anybody told she was going to be the star ballerina. But man, did she prove them wrong. And um I'm so happy she's here and I'm so happy that we can learn from her like we have all these other guests. But I think she in particular um, completely 100% is a standout in every single way. And I'm so glad she's here. Mandy, thank you so much for making the time to do this. You have so many fans in the world and I'm sure that everybody is just as excited as me that you are sitting here today. Ah, uh, this is awesome. Thank you. And I, you know, I'm not Mandy Moore, the singer, in case anyone's confused. Oh, wait a minute. You're not a no. <laughs> It's so funny. It always is like a thing, you know, people are like, no. oh, you're the singer or the choreographer. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So let's start at the very beginning as, uh, what's her name? Julie Andrews says, let's start at the very beginning. So, so let's go back. Where does this begin for you? When you were a kid, where does your love of dance start? Uh, well, it's, uh, I think it starts earlier than I can remember because my mom would tell me that, you know, as a kid, as like a baby baby, like sitting in the car seat, she would put on music and she would look back at me and all of a sudden I, you know, be bobbing my head to what seemed like the beat of the music as a baby. And she thought that is not possible that this kid is like hearing the beat and nodding to the beat of the music. Yeah. So she would change the music. And then I would find the beat again and I would be bobbing to the beat of the music. So I think very early on, I, you know, obviously had a real love of music. And um, as from, from whenever I can remember, I mean, I was always dancing around the house. You know, I was, that, I was the same kid that, you know, makes the whole family sit down and do production numbers for them to like, you know, dress up in costumes and make my mom and dad sit there while I would do full performances and involve my sister. I think from that, my mom realized like, okay, I got to get this kid in some classes or something. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, she enrolled me at the local dance studio in Frisco, Colorado, which is a very small um, you know, ski town, Breckenridge, Colorado, that was where I grew up. Mom signs me up. Yep. She puts me in ballet class. And literally, I thought my life had just like, poof, you know, like that was it. I never wanted to be anywhere else but dance class. 
I was psycho. I just was there all the time. I'd go to school and I'd go straight to the studio after. And, you know, I was just taking all different kinds of class, tap and jazz. And funny enough, I started breakdancing. That was like the first thing I ever really did was breakdancing in ballet. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and funny enough, in this teeny little studio, we, we were really fortunate to be exposed to a bunch of different kinds of styles because a lot of different people it's kind of a transient community because a lot of people come in to ski for the season yeah. you know and then leave so you know it was really cool we'd have like belly dancing or modern class or folkloric dancing you know like whoever gets exposed to that you know yeah. so Just I you. yeah was super <laughs> lucky to have a studio that got to try a lot of different things and the the woman who owned it um, at the time Kim Del Grosso who actually owns a big studio in Utah now um, she was kind of like, I guess my little angel of dance, you know, she really, for me, I, I think she instilled this love of dance that I really feel like is the only reason I still do it because it was wow. like just ingrained in me that, I mean, I think I loved it when I walked in, but she really like fostered that and facilitated a place where you could fall in love with the craft of it and the journey of it. And, right. you know, I wasn't necessarily like that great when I started and we weren't you know winning dance competitions or like I wasn't exposed to a lot of things on a national level I just really loved it you know just getting in the dance studio and yeah. putting on music and making up your own moves or taking class or you know whatever that was wow so at what point did you feel like I want to do this with my whole life you know, funny enough, it was really young. Okay, so I remember specifically there was this class. It was a ballet class, and I was in the older kids' classes because I guess I was relatively talented for my age. So mm -hmm. they would put me up in these bigger kids' classes, you know, and they were all in high school, and I was in, I want to say, like, grade four or five. You know, I was, mm -hmm. like, pretty young. And they were all in the changing room afterwards, and I remember them all talking about college and, like, oh, I can't wait to go off to, you know, this university and be this, and I'm going to be a blah, 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 fill in blank. And none of them said dance. And I remember at that time in my head, my little head at, you know, in the fourth grade being like, what are these people talking about? Like, they're crazy. The only thing that like any of us should ever do wow. is dance. That is all I'm going to do. That's all I've ever wanted to do with my life. It's really weird. Yeah. I've never wanted to do anything else. Wow. That's so special that you knew from such an early age. So what happens next? So, okay, so I'm graduating, and I knew that the deal in my house, my mom is an educator, she was a teacher and uh, an administrator, so kind of the deal at my house was, you're going to go to school. And right. I knew probably my junior year that that's not what I wanted to do, I wanted to move to Los Angeles, and I wanted mm -hmm. to be a dancer, you know, I wanted mm -hmm. to dance on TV, uh, in movies, on television, you know, I wanted to do that kind of dance. And so the deal was, my mom said, well, you have to apply to three schools and you have to get into one, and then we'll maybe start talking about, you know, you moving to L.A. Because yeah. I think both my mom and my dad were obviously super supportive of me, but they were also like, hey, like, we don't know anything about this. Like, I don't know. You're not moving to L.A. at 18. So I did that. I applied to school. I got into Pepperdine, and the first thing I said was, I'm not going to school. <laughs> and they were like, <laughs> okay, cool, deal. We said that you, this is what you needed to, to do. That's and, interesting. Um, yeah, and they, I, I moved out to L.A. August after I graduated in May. You know, I've said this before, but it's really true. It's like very cliche. I had two suitcases, my Jeep Wrangler, and 500 bucks. And my dad and my sister drove me out to L.A. and dropped me off. And then, like, I was like, what have I done? Like, I don't right. know. Like, I don't yeah. know anybody out here. That's scary. Yeah, like, I just, it's weird when you're in the, like, I look back at those moments and I think, I mean, thank God I was a little bit ignorant. I have to say that about it. Like, I didn't know about the business. I didn't, I just knew I wanted to dance. That was it, you know? And I think maybe if I had known what I learned in those following couple years, I might have been too scared to go because sure, it was, that makes sense. you know, yeah. a lot of things that nobody teaches you about. Like, no one teaches you about the business side of it when you're in dance class. They just teach you how yeah. to point your feet, you know? Yeah, that's right. So, what happens? Yeah, so the first like week I was here, I auditioned for a scholarship program at Edge Performing Arts Center, which is a you know a, a famous yeah. studio out here. Yeah, and, sure. Um, I didn't make it, and it was probably again. I look back like that's probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me because I may not have continued. You know, if I had, I have this personality where you know people tell me no, and I very quickly in my brain I'm like, 
oh yeah, I'll show you, you know, like I'm uh, yeah, kind of totally, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like as soon as someone's like, you can't do that. And you're like, really? Cause I think I'm going to make it happen. You know, <laughs> I, I didn't make it and started, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to have to kind of do this a different way. And I started working at the studio to pay for my classes. Cause of course it's expensive for an 18 year old and I was too proud to ask for any money. So I started, um, working at the studio for free class and I would take class every moment that I wasn't working. And, you know, that transitioned into me managing the studio. So I got more free class and then I started going out on the road and assisting some of the choreographers, you know, in, in, I guess I'd call it like dance conventions or classes. Yeah. And that kind of started a whole nother career that I didn't know was going to kind of bleed into the rest of my life. But, you know, I had a whole teaching career, um, where I would travel around the country and the world doing master classes. And, you know, that ended up informing a lot of what has become my career now because I think I, you know, I'm, I'm known as someone who creates and choreographs, but I also coach and teach. And that's very, you know, a, a marketable skill, <laughs> you yes. know, especially when you're working with like actors that have never moved before, you yeah. know, you have to have an ability to actually communicate what you're wanting, not just oh, yeah. And how did that start? The master classes. Um, I was traveling on a dance convention called LA Dance Force that was owned by the people that own Edge, and okay. I was assisting uh, a couple of the teachers as well as selling T-shirts on the road. Right. Very humbling. <laughs> uh, yes, very humbling. And um, I remember being on a weekend thinking, I'm more than selling T-shirts like that. There's nothing wrong with that, but I know that I have more to offer to this world, and so I somehow got the courage. I've had a couple of these moments in my life and I don't know where it comes from, but you somehow get the courage to like march into your boss, boss's office. Mm, yeah. And I just said, Hey, you know, I love the company and you know, I just would love a chance to teach. Would you give me a shot? You know, and they, my boss at the time, Randy Allaire just said, yeah, you know, we've been kind of looking at you and thought maybe this could be something. Let's give it a shot. So you started to teach. And then after you're doing these master classes, you're traveling, what happens then? So traveling and teaching and as still at the same time training a bunch, you know, so at uh, at Edge all the time and started taking a class. Uh, Alex Magna was the choreographer and someone who used to take the class was a lady by the name of Carrie Ann Anaba, who is now a Dancing with the Stars judge. Yeah. And so we at the time... Uh, had just struck up a friendship and we're dancing together all the time. And she was starting to transition into choreography and needed an assistant. And so I was mm. like, yeah, sure. Great. We get along. This is great. We think the same. And we booked a job or she booked a job and I was assisting her called all American girl. And this is a good little tidbit of information. The producers on the show were two men by the name of Nigel Lithgow oh. and Conrad Green, who started Dancing with the Stars. So I met Conrad and Nigel on that kind of random job through Carrie Ann. And what and was that? Was that a TV show? Yeah, it was a television show that was looking for the next all-American girl, the girl who could, like, be sporty, was artistic, was beautiful. It was, like, a very funny little show. Like, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't think we made it past the first, like, seven episodes. But, okay, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, at the time, Nigel was looking for someone to come on to American Idol. So he hired Carrie Ann and I for American Idol. So we started doing that. And at that very same time, um, Nigel was looking to do a dance show. And so he was starting the formatting of So You Think You Can Dance. Oh my so god! Would, yeah, it's crazy. Like so, you know that people can't say that the name of that show without just like going, "Oh my god!" Like it's like <laughs> if you if you watch the show, you love it. You don't just yes. like it. You're like obsessed. Yeah, and we have the best fans for for sure, for sure. What's it like when you you start working on TV? So you start with American Idol. What what are you feeling? You're like, oh my god. Well, it's funny enough, I. Again, I look back, you do a lot of reflecting as you, you know, as you go through this life. But I look back and I think, well, I was in a really great position because I was assisting. You know, I wasn't thrust into the spotlight on not prepared. You know, I was in a position right. where Carrie Ann was the boss and my job was basically to help facilitate whatever vision she had. And, you know, again, because I was teaching a lot still, um, I knew how to work with people and communicate with people. You know, I have a lot of it, like experience being in front of a lot of different kinds of people of yeah. all varying degrees of talent. Yeah. So no, cause like um, <laughs> you should, you could be such an egomaniac right now, but you're like super nice and sweet. 
No, it's just weird, like talking about it, because I think I just was I was raised really well, you know, because I think this business can turn you into something crazy. But luckily, yeah. I just have I had a really, really good upbringing. So season one of So You Think You Can Dance, you know, it was commissioned or Fox took it on. And so it was like no one knew what was going on. <laughs> you know, it was this random new show. So they hired Carrie Ann and oh I God. to do the audition cities for season one. So we traveled around the country and did what was called, you know, the choreography round. We did all of that. And at the time, Carrie Ann was in talks to do Dancing with the Stars because she was being offered Dancing oh with the Stars. God, it was literally the same year. It's oh. so crazy. And I remember being in those hotel rooms with her and she'd be like, oh my God, I don't know what to do because, you know, here's So You Think You Can Dance, which is great for dance and blah, blah, blah. But then I've also got this opportunity to be on camera for Dancing oh, with the Stars. Oh my God. So ultimately, she ended up obviously going to Dancing with the Stars. And I, um, you know, I worked on season one just in the audition cities. I didn't do season two because I was out of town teaching a bunch. And then season three, Jeff Thacker, who's the EP on the show, he called me into his office and just said, hey, I know this is a really random thing. You're probably never going to want to do it. Meanwhile, I'm thinking like, uh, whatever it is, I will do it for free. He's like, well, will you come out and do the audition cities like Carrie Ann did? He's like, I know it's not a lot. I'm sorry. And I'm thinking like, this is the best thing ever. Oh, so my God. Went out and did that. And um, after that, they were very happy. And basically, the last thing Jeff said to me, you know, at the last cities, is like, well, maybe we can have you on for a duet. You know, I was thinking, oh, my God, my life would be like, oh, oh amazing, my God. You know? And my stomach is in butterflies because <laughs> yeah. you lived inside. Like we're all watching from the outside. I, I'm just like, okay, keep going. So, so, so maybe you can do a duet. Yeah, okay, so it'd be great. Can you do a duet? So then season oh three starts, and I didn't really hear from them. I was funny enough supposed to be assisting Tice. Diorio. Yep. He had asked me to assist him week one, and I was like, of course, you know, whatever. But then I was thinking you know, is that weird? Like, am I going to be like, I just didn't want someone to never see me in a different light. Cause sometimes in life, you know, if you only present yourself in one way, no one ever sees you a different way. So, yeah, that's so true. So this would be number two. Somehow I got some confidence. I don't know how this happened. I happened to have Jeff Thacker's cell phone number and I just, shut up. yes, I called him on, the called cell. Him on his cell oh phone. Oh my God. I was, I was teaching in South Carolina. I remember on my, I know only sometimes, I don't know how this happens, but yeah, I basically called him. Thank God he didn't answer. I mean, I would have been so stressed if he didn't answer, but (laughs) I leave him this message basically saying, Hey Jeff, I know you'd mentioned maybe me doing a duet, you know, Tice has asked me to assist. I don't know how that works. And I just really would love a shot at being able to do a duet. There it is next week. I did my first duet. I mean, it was crazy. Oh. I did the Pretender song, I'll Stand oh, By yeah. You. It was Sabra oh, yeah. and Dominic. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. that was amazing. Yeah. It was, thank you. It was crazy to think that's the first one. I've just never thought that you have to deal in evil and anger. It's just not something I know yeah. how to deal with. So I, I think know. that, you know, my my worlds have to be very happy because that's kind of how I am. So That's how you are. It's so obvious. But it's it's so beautiful because, like, you got protected through this whole journey. Like, nobody ruined that for you. Thank you. Um, so what happens next? Um, okay. So then goes uh, – so you think. So I start se- uh, season three. I had an awesome season three. And then I'm going to call it my dark times started. No, <laughs> I don't really have dark times. But, you know, it's – I think it's like anything when you – you know, it's like your first shot out is kind of just like you just trust your gut because you don't know any better, right? Like right. nobody tells you different. So you just go like, that's what I want to do. And, you know, I think getting into like season four, season five, season six for me, I just started listening to everything everyone was saying, you know, and then creating from fear instead of creating from opportunity and like, ah, I feel like I want to do this. And, you know, it's hard being on live television every week and having people have opinions oh, about your even, work. I can't even imagine. I really yeah. can't. Well, and it's, and it's also on this show, you know, it's such a beautiful show in that you have the opportunity to create whatever you want. But then there's also limitations with what dancers you get or how much time you have or it's live or it's, you know, you, that song doesn't clear. And those are the things that nobody really knows, you know, yeah. because that's not anything anyone experiences on the show. But, you know, for me... 
I thank that time because I think I questioned a lot of what I was doing and I didn't really do great work. I mean, it was okay, but it wasn't great. And what do you, just to make it clear, like, what do you mean that you were listening to what people were saying? Was it like the director? Was it the comments yeah. on YouTube? Like, what were you uh, listening to? Well, I mean, well, first of all, don't ever listen to a no, single thing away on from YouTube that. because yeah, horror, horror. that, yeah, I mean, I definitely went through a YouTube like, okay, I'm going to read what people say. And that was so hurtful because it really makes you go like, yeah, maybe I don't know what I'm doing. I'm the worst choreographer on this show. And yeah, I mean, they went home because of me, you know, and it's like you just start getting so crazy in your head about how they think about you. And yeah, I mean, the producers and the director and the other choreographers and the dad, I mean, it's like you just start listening to everyone and you stop listening, I think, ultimately to yourself. But what I will say is thank goodness for it because I ultimately got to a point where I like didn't want to do it anymore. Like I literally was like, okay, I think this is not for me. Like, I oh my think God, let's is... get into this moment because yes. this is the moment that most people live in every day. Yeah. And you obviously pushed past it, but what is that? What was the pinnacle of that? Was it just like, I can't take another insulting comment or was it like, yeah. I just, yeah. Well, it was like, okay, I remember it was season seven and I had done a number. I'd had a couple good ones, but I'd done a number for Lauren Froderman and Kent Boyd. So, yeah. And it was in the finale and, you know, it was whatever excuses. It was not the song I wanted. I was last minute higher. You know, it was all these things. It wasn't that great of a number. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't that great. Nigel railed me. Like he just railed me on national television. I remember thinking like, I mean, I was so upset. I was crying. You know, and, and I like, handle that? Honestly, like we're yeah. human beings. Like, <laughs> it's how <brutal>. you... <laughs> it was so brutal. Very brutal. But I... I thank that moment because in that moment, I think it was like a breaking point because funny enough, like literally two days later, I got a call from the producers of So You Think UK and they were just like, hey, we love you and we want to hire you to come live in love uh, in London for three months and do our entire show. And I, I was at first, I I wasn't going to take it because I was like, no, I can't. And like, this is no, I shouldn't be doing this. This is like just too painful. And I was like, what? No, I'm going to, I'm going to go to move move to London. Best thing that could have ever happened because I went in with, first of all, like no confidence and no expectations. So I was just like, well, screw it. Like I can do whatever I want. I also don't live here. So if they hate me, (laughs) then I'll just go home, you know, and it was so freeing because I feel like I finally, I found my voice when I was there because I think I, out of just like feeling totally lame, I just was like, well, I have I can't really get any lower than this right now. And and honestly, in the scheme of things being low, that is not low. But for me as an artist, it was like, I was very, very insecure about my work. I didn't know like, who am I? Like when somebody sees a Mandy piece, like, what is that? And what do you have to say for the world? You know? And so I, yeah, being there was the best thing I could have ever done because I really, you know, I kind of stacked myself back up and I came back feeling like, ah, I do know what I'm doing and what I feel like I can give to the the community, you know? Amen. Love it. It's, I love hearing this. Thank you for being so vulnerable and courageous and, and sharing it because from the outside, it looks like it's just all been, you know, roses (laughs) and sunshine. Um, but it, I mean, I can't even imagine how that wouldn't be super painful, but I love that you then got some perspective, went away and regained and reclaimed yourself. And yeah. so what what happened after London? Well, I came back from London and again, just kind of felt renewed and I had a really great season eight. And around that same time, I was getting calls to work on Dancing with the Stars. So they had needed a choreographer to, you know, put together some group numbers for their pros and with that, it was kind of like, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll do it. I don't really know that much about ballroom. I know I know enough, but it's not really my thing. Usually I'm jazz and contemporary yeah. and went into that team. And that was a fun little journey and continues to be an amazing journey because I, you know, just started with like doing one number and then one number turned into, oh, hey, can you do two more? And then before you know, it's like, oh, can you do our whole season? Oh, <laughs> can you produce and choreograph? You know, like, so wow. I've had this very lucky track of being able to be very involved in two separate dance shows, which doesn't also happen for many choreographers. So I feel super lucky and they're totally different shows. Like they're night and day, the way that they run their shows. And then also ultimately the content that they produce. But yeah, once I started doing dancing with the stars, you know, like opened up another thing where I was 
not necessarily creating from just my own body, you know, whereas I can with jazz and contemporary and tap and hip hop, like I trained in those, I know them, you know, ballroom, I don't know hardly any compared to what those guys know. So it was a new way of creating and directing and choreographing because I had to kind of step outside of it and look at it and direct the movement and collaborate with the movement, which is a very different skill set. You know, you don't always get to do that. So you also were nominated for Emmy Awards <laughs> yeah. 2008, 2011, 2013, 14, and twice in 2017. <laughs> um, you're super humble. You skipped over that. Um, <laughs> what did that feel like to be nominated for an Emmy? Okay, so the first one, first of all, I didn't even, I've heard, I had heard of the Emmys. I'd probably watched them growing oh, up. Oh my God. I didn't like, what, know anything. <laughs> Seriously, like so confused <laughs> about life. So they, the show had actually nominated Sweet Dreams for me my first season. Mm-hmm. And I was nominated. And I was like, okay, wait, what? I'm nominated for an Emmy? Like, so that oh started God. the whole, you know, television academy, like learning about the television academy and what that is. And I don't know if you knew this, but now sidebar, fast forward, I'm a governor of the choreographer's peer group at the Television Academy. No, wow. Yes, okay. so this is, we can get to that in a minute, but yes, so first time in history, never happened. We got a choreography peer group along with my co-governor, Kat Burns. Uh, but, that's amazing. Um, cool. Yeah. That's so but, cool. I mean, go back. I had no idea what the Emmys were, so <laughs> we've come a long way. Um, but yeah, so I, I think when you get nominated for an Emmy, first of all, it's very... Um, it's very exciting. I'm not going to say it's not, but it's also like, wow, like ha- there's so many great creators out there. And so to have a group of your peers vote for your work and say that it is worthy of an Emmy is, is truly one of the most like beautiful things ever. And I, I, oh. I look at those awards, like I, you know, they give you the certificates and I've got them, you know, up in my office and every once in a while, I'm just like, man, that is like, Cause you're just doing your stuff. Like that's what's weird to me is like I'm not in the room creating for an Emmy every time. Yeah. If yeah. I did, I think I'd be incredibly disappointed. I set myself up for failure. Exactly. Right. Right. So it's like when you're just going to create something fun. Like I was nominated for Boogie Shoes, which was just this weird idea I had about these two tennis shoes falling in love and wanting to so dance. Cute. Yeah. So and cute. to think that it came from this like weird idea, and all of a sudden it was you know. Through, through many different versions and things, got onto television and then ultimately, you know, touched people in a way I think is super cool. Yeah. Yep. Oh, sorry. They're probably talking. I'm in an office that's saving. Sorry. Oh, no, no, you're fine. Oh, you're there right now? That's yeah. So cool. <laughs> She's there on the scene. That's amazing. Okay, so let's talk about La La Land for a second. So how does that happen? <laughs> okay, so yes, I've been doing So You Think for a bit, doing Dancing with the Stars, have kind of started to build my resume as a choreographer. I'd done um, Silver Linings Playbook with David O. Russell and American Hustle. And my agent called me and said, hey, you know, we've got this project coming up. It just seems amazing. It's a musical set in Los Angeles. They want to film it, you know, kind of like old MGM style. I was like, okay, great. And they're like, you want to go in for a meeting? Totally. would love to. Great. Set up a meeting. So really nothing different than any other kind of day, you know, normally that's kind of how that works in our business, you know, going for meetings. So I, I went in and had a meeting with Damien Chazelle and Fred Berger and Jordan Horowitz, the two mm-hmm. producers. And, you know, prior to the meeting, they called or they had sent me a couple demos of the songs and then a copy of the script. And I and ad, had asked me to do like just a little bit of thinking of like what I might do for the roommates number. Um, and so I prepped all of that and, you know, went into the meeting and this meeting ended up being like two and a half hours long. Oh my God. <laughs> and I didn't know it at the time, but we were just like shooting it together. We were just like doing the whole thing, asking questions. It was like a really great meeting back and forth. And I left the meeting thinking like, oh, that'd be awesome if I could get this because I really like oh those guys. And yeah. Um, yeah, I called my agent. He's like, wait, you just got out of that meeting? I was like, yeah. I was like, what, what do you mean? And he's like, all my other clients were in there for like 10 minutes. This is amazing. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, like two days later, they called and said, you know, we really love Mandy and we'd love to see if we could get some, you know, recommendations for her and just talk to a couple of people that have worked for her. And so I was like, okay, this might be the moment where I got to pull out the big guns because I really yeah. like this job. Yeah. So I called David O. Russell <laughs> and Nigel Lipko <laughs> and Gail Mancuso, who I'd worked with, who um, is a great director and works on Modern Family. Um, and I've worked with her in the Television Academy. So I was like, look, guys. 
I would really love this job. If you could give me a glowing review, that would be amazing. Yeah, right. And I guess they did because somehow I booked La La Land. So that happens. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. Wait a second. Before we get into La La Land, because it's, it, yeah. you know, there's nothing to say, but oh my God. Um, I didn't know before this interview that you did Silver Lining Playbook. So we skipped yeah. a chunk. So you did So You Think You Can Dance. You did Dancing with the Stars. And then you started doing movies. So what's the first one that you did? Yeah. So, okay. This is a good story too, because it's always so weird how it all works out, you know? Um, so I get a call from David O. Russell's office that says, you know, basically he wants to get on a call with me. Great. Cool. I had no what? idea who he was. So oh this God. is a, a good, fun little part of this situation. I had seen the fighter and I loved the fighter, but I didn't put two and two together. Cause I'm also very bad with names and Hollywood right. people. Like I don't really, I don't know. Okay. I, I don't remember it. Yeah. So get on the call with him He's like very crazy and amazing and all over the place. And I kind of didn't really know what I was getting myself into. But basically, I finished the So You Think You Can Dance tour because I was working on that and basically went to Philly, which was supposed, you know, went to Philly to work with him, which was supposed to be for a week. And I ended up staying for three months, I ended up staying wow. there the whole time. So that, as far as film goes, I feel like I learned everything from David O. Russell because he, Aww. you know, put me through the test to get to get ultimately what ended up being an incredible scene, you know, and he's a dear, you know, fan and support. And I, you know, I love him very much. So Aww. yeah, that was training, you know, training Jen and Bradley and creating. What was that like? Were you oh. starstruck or no? You're like, oh, yeah. I've already worked with so many cool people, whatever. <laughs> well, you, you know, what's weird is I don't get starstruck except for Garth Brooks. He's the only person I've ever got starstruck <laughs> with, which is so weird. But so like, cute. I literally didn't know what to say. He walked into a dressing room I was in, and I was like, uh. So, but Bradley and Jen, and it's funny, like even Ryan and Emma, you know, it's, it's yeah. weird. You get in these situations where it's like, it's my job and they're humans and it's their job. And so we kind of just... We just hang, and then every once in a while, I'm like, "Oh my god, you guys are like A-list celebrities! Like, you're <laughs> like big time," <laughs> which is funny. So you did Silver Lining Playbook, and yeah. then did you do a couple other movies in between? Yeah, so I did American Hustle with David, oh, which yeah, wasn't yeah. as much dance, but there was you know stuff in there with Amy and Bradley, and then and then I did uh, Sleeping with Other People, which was a film with um, Jason Sudeikis and. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Meanwhile, still doing a lot of television because that's mostly where, you know, my world lies. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then I guess it was now probably like two and a half for three years ago, La La Land came up. I ended up working almost a year with Damien, which was great, before we actually like started with Ryan and Emma. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think we shot like two months, something like that. Wow. Yeah. Only two months? God. It wasn't. It wasn't that long of a shoot from what I remember. I mean, I think we started rehearsing like middle of May and we wrapped in September, but we didn't start shooting until like mid July, maybe okay. mid August. Wow. Yeah. It was a pretty quick shoot. Honestly. Like if I think back, I'm like, I, again, it's like you get into this, I'm like, how do, how do we do that? Like in the moment you're just doing it, you know, cause that's like what you do and you love it and you're surrounded by people that are right. amazing at their jobs and love it too. But then you look back at the final product, you're like, oh my God, we, we made that. I think that we all knew, and I knew that we were making something amazing. I didn't know if people were going to like it. That was the thing that mm. was a little bit of a gamble. I mean, I, fe I felt very on the, or with Damien that he was a visionary and that he was so passionate about this thing. And he had assembled a team of people that were equally as passionate as he was about making great art, you know, our great right. films. So that I knew was something special because I know that that doesn't happen all the time. But, you know, as far as people really taking to it, I think we all really hoped, but we didn't know. I mean, right. even Ryan and Emma were like, is anybody going to come and watch us like sing and dance? And I nah, like, no weird, one liked it. Yeah, I know. Else. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Wow. So where does that leave you now? What have you been doing since then? Well, um, I will say that La La Land opened up a lot of doors and I am very, very thankful for that film. And, you know, I guess I, it kind of puts you in a weird position too, because you're like, okay, I've done La La Land. Like, what do I do now? You know, like right, how does, right. what yeah. happens now? You know, because I, I think that 
now I know what it feels like to be a part of something really, really incredible. So, you know, the, the day-to-day for me is obviously still hanging out and working on amazing shows like So You Think and Dance with the Stars. You know, luckily I still have these kind of like things that I would call my family, honestly, at this point. You know, I love to be able to be back at these shows and, and creating every week and going through the roller coaster of the show. But yeah, I mean, I still have meetings. That's the weird thing. It's like, you know, life doesn't stop. You just continue taking meetings for things and reading scripts and doing some jobs and some jobs are better than the other. And some things you're like, wow, that was crazy. I can't believe we did it, you know? And for me, it's kind of that and figuring out where I am in the next, you know, 10 years, which I wish I could give you the answer because I don't know yet. I haven't figured it out. It's really (laughs) exciting. Um, Would you ever do Broadway stuff? Yeah, I would love to. You know, I think with the right show, um, I, I would love to figure out something. I mean, people have said, oh, La La Land's going to go to Broadway. And of course, that would be amazing. I would love to be yeah, involved. Yeah, I could so see that, of course. What do you think sets you apart? Like, why do you think that meeting was two and a half hours and not 10 minutes? Hmm. What is different? I think, I know, not think, I know that I'm a people person. I know that I am very good in conversation. I know that I know how to listen and I know how to speak my truth, if that makes sense. So in yes. it, I think when you're face to face with people or when you're in a conversation, even something like this, like it's free flowing, like people feel inspired by what you're saying and you're inspired by what they're saying. Yeah. So that's something that I know is like a plus for me. Yeah, I also huge. know, I know that I work really hard at being prepared. I am a prep person. So when I walk into a meeting or I walk into a room or a rehearsal, I've done my homework before I got in there because I don't like surprises in that way. Like I, you know, I want to leave things open to the moment, but I also don't want to be thrown a curveball. Or if I am, like I want to know how to deal with it and have an opinion about something so that people don't ever look at you like, wow, you didn't do your homework at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at days on things like I, when, if it comes to, so for that meeting, you know, I got the script probably two weeks before. So it was like, I read the script immediately every night. I would write out little like ideas on a piece of paper yeah. or I would listen to the song and I'd break it down so that when they talked to me about a certain part of the song, I wasn't guessing. I knew I'm like, Oh yeah, the bridge. So I see something like this on the bridge. Cause even if they don't agree with me, at least they can respect the fact that I took the yeah, time. She's invested. Yeah. Yes. You showed up. You're yes. Which I think is a huge thing for people that I'm also realizing that people know that about me. Like if I say I'm going to be there, like I want to be there and I will be there 100% and I will do it 100% or die trying. It's so obvious that you're just so easy to be around and you're so easy to like, like and talk to. Um, Me make space for other people. So I'm glad that that you said that and I didn't have to say it. Uh, Being prepared. The other thing I was going to ask you is what is the best piece of advice you ever got? Ah, okay. So funny enough from Carrie Ann Anaba mm-hmm. <laughs> and actually fast forward to David Russell, he kind of had the same thing, but they, you know, she told me very early on and I remember being really annoyed by this when I was assisting her, but she never wanted to do option one. You know, it's like we work really hard with option one and we like take all this time to make option one happen. And then she'd be like, okay, great. So let's try option two, three, four, and five. And I'd just be like, oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. Now, now I look at it and I'm like, thank God, because the amount of options for, you know, silver lining that final, the scene in silver linings playbook. Yeah. I mean, we had weeks of options. I mean, I probably did 1500 options of that dance, you know, oh different versions of changing the song or changing that step or changing the way they look at each other. And I think to know that your first one out is probably not the one it's going to go. You may find your way back to the first time out and like what you did, but if you don't ever explore those other options, you never know that the the one you don't never know which one is right. Yeah, I love that. What's your advice? Um, I, well, the first thing is is I think be ready to like fail a lot. I mean, I I feel like I've had a lot of as much as people would consider that I've had a lot of success. I've also had a lot of times where I was not good. And not good in front of a lot of people. And it's really scary to be like, okay, wow, I was not good in that situation. But you learn so much, obviously, from being kind of (laughs) lame. So I think don't be afraid to be lame. But in the same, I guess in the same breath. That is so powerful. Failing and failing publicly and then being able to weather that. 
Wow. Yeah, because honestly, it's like, what's the worst that's going to happen? Someone's going to think you're lame? Well, guess what? For every like person who thinks I'm great, there's 10 that think I'm terrible. So I've learned how to kind of like <laughs> let that go. And, yeah. and at the same time, be like, okay, but honestly, Mandy, like, who are you? Like, figure it out. What's your voice? Like, what do you want to say? And, and, you know, it doesn't have to be anything crazy and profound. Because I think for a long time, I thought, oh, I'm not artsy. I'm not like one of those people that creates like crazy numbers where everyone's like, whoa, you're really feeling your whatever. Yeah. That's okay. Like I am someone who likes to express things about joy and happiness and love. And I do oh, really that's good such well a good that. point. Like art doesn't have to mean depression. It's, right. Yeah. It can. I mean, some people create things that are so haunting and dark and crazy, but I knew once I let go of me realizing like, that's not me. I do this really well. I don't do that well. I'm going to let yeah. other people do that well because yeah. it's not me. Um, yeah. You know, I think that's really important for any artist too is to just find out who you are and, and continue to, to like figure it out and evolve with it too because maybe it's going to change over time, you know. Wow. I mean, such powerful, beautiful words. Thank you so much for taking the time. Of um, course. So where can people find you next? Where should people be looking for you? Well, definitely So You Think this season and Dancing with the Stars will be starting up in the fall. And um, after that, I mean, a couple things in the works, but who knows? I mean, it's, it's weird. My career kind of takes me a bunch of different places, so you never know where wow. I'm going to pop up. Wow. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking this time out of your very busy day. My pleasure, Kathy. Thank you so much. Wow, that was just chock full of stuff. But um, let's see if we can come up with some of the takeaways because there's just so many. Um, number one, sometimes ignorance, it happens to be bliss. Number two, don't stop listening to yourself. Number three, life doesn't stop. The meetings don't stop. Number four, some jobs are better than others, but you keep taking the work. Number five, be a good listener, but also speak your truth. Number six, do your homework. Even if it takes days or weeks, show that you're interested in the work. Number seven, be there 100% or die trying. Number eight, don't settle for option one. There are always other possibilities to explore. Number nine, be ready to fail a lot. It's okay to be lame. Number 10, art isn't always about the pain, the depression, or the gloom. It can be about joy and happiness and love. And number 11, know what you do well. Find out who you are and evolve with it. Thank you guys for listening to Don't Keep Your Day Job. Please, if you were inspired by this episode, if you enjoyed it, if you're a dancer, if you have a dancer friend, if you have an artist friend, if you know anybody who has a dream and who wants to aspire to do something that's out of the box, share this episode. Share the show with your friends. Share it on Instagram. Share it on Twitter. Share it on Facebook. If every single one of you shared um, about our show and brought on another listener, another subscriber, we would double our audience today. We are able with technology to see how many people are subscribing to the show. So I would like to check back tomorrow and and see that you guys um, really uh, care about me and were super generous and gave back by sharing and telling the world about this show. So please post about it and tell people to listen because it affects us so much. That is one of the very best ways to support us is just to tell people to subscribe. It costs you guys nothing, but the more subscribers we have, um, the more sponsors we have. And by having sponsors, we're able to afford this amazing team that helps us to make this show possible. I love you guys. I believe so much in what you have to offer. I think you haven't seen anything yet in terms of the amount of good that you guys have to bring to this world. I feel like the best is yet to come. I hope that you trust that because you're a kind, good person, that that's enough and that you deserve to be happy. And I hope that it, after every episode, there's one thing you take away that helps you um, move a little bit you know, closer to what it is that you want to do. Um, post about what you're doing on Instagram. Tag me so I can see what you're doing. Give a shout out to the show. It's win-win. I love you guys. Next week, we have Donnie Most here, who played Ralph Mouth on Happy Days. He's adorable. It's going to be super fun. And I'm looking forward to it. I'll talk to you guys next week. Special thanks to our executive producer, Tim Street, and producer, Emma Kikuchi. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com.